This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 120 of Go To Grandma. This episode is airing on Saturday, November the 25th, 2023. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your go-to grandma, and yes, it is exactly one month until December 25th, a time of great joy and sometimes great stress for grandparents thinking about that perfect gift for their perfect grandchild. If you're like me, one of the best things we get to do as grandparents is read to our grandkids to help foster that love of reading as they get older. Today, I speak with new author Angela Odesanya about her new book, Amelia's Loose Part Arts, which will have your little grand kids reading and making art inspired by the loose parts in their own worlds. Then Robert Tinkler tells us about his book, Eight Tiny Reindeer, a graphic novel about Santa and how technology impacts his world, written in an Advent style, where your kids read one chapter a day starting on December 1st. Both innovative and fun books from Canadian authors. While I read a ton, part of the reason I'm such an advocate of libraries is that I don't accumulate mountains of books in my house at a time when I'm looking to declutter. Some of you may have decluttered to the max and have already moved out of your homes to a retirement home, a smaller place, or somewhere warmer. But how do you fill your bank account the most with a house that has been emptied? Real estate broker Lisa Bednarski is back on the show to give us some tips on selling that vacant house. Our Take 5 with RBC interview will provide you with some timely cross-border Black Friday shopping tips. Thanks for taking the time away from your busy day today to join us for these fun and factual topics as usual. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your go-to grandma, and my grandkid book selections are up first. Angela Odesanya is a passionate early childhood educator with over 20 years of experience. It was her years of experience in the classroom that inspired her to publish her first book, Amelia's Loose Part Art, a story that encourages children to be curious about the world around them and embrace their unique creativity and interests. Good morning, Angela. Thanks for being on Go To Grandma. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I love this book, of course, Amelia's Loose Part Art. The best part is that she goes to her grandma's house for a sleepover, which is when she discovers this great thing. Good start to the book for me. Yeah, it was. It's a, there's a special bond between a grandchild and their grandparent, and sleepovers are common. So I wanted to highlight that in the book. And when she gets to her grandma, she doesn't have her regular art kit, which is what starts her off on what she calls loose part art. Um, but this starts from a moment of disappointment for her, obviously, when she realizes she doesn't have her art kit with her. Why is it important to turn a child's moment of disappointment into a teachable moment? Because children need to learn to cope with disappointment. Um, as they do that, their brain actually creates neural pathways that help them develop resiliency and be able to cope with disappointment in the future. And so as they're doing that, they're getting a chance to solve problems and they view themselves as capable. It also, I assume, inspires some creative thinking as well. I can tell as you're speaking that your background as an early childhood educator is coming through, and this is throughout the book, which I love. So what are some of the risks in stifling creative thinking? Why is it important that we continue to nurture that creativity? Because it really helps um, children develop their problem-solving skills. And so we're, we're born with um, 
the ability to problem solve, but sometimes we take that away from our children. We don't give them the opportunities to practice. Um, and when they get the chance to do that and be creative, uh, they view themselves as capable. They um, discover their hidden talents and interests. They have a chance to express themselves. And um, we can do that for children by giving them a chance to go through the creative process and focus more on that process than we do on final products. What is loose part art, Angela? Loose part art is um, the ability to create art with absolutely anything around a child's environment. It can be inside or outside. It could be natural items like rocks and sticks and leaves, or it can be synthetic items like buttons and pins and feathers. Um, So it's just about allowing children to use things around them in their own creative ways without you having some agenda for them or some project. It's open-ended, and that's sort of the definition of loose parts. It's sort of like independent play, right? It's getting them to do what they want to do. And you give us some great examples through the storytelling in the book of how Amelia um, has techniques for loose part art. But you also list a few ideas at the back of the book, which is super helpful as well. Yeah, I would like like, um, caregivers and educators to be able to finish reading this book and dive right in. And that's actually the response I've been getting from educators so far. Um, that as soon as they finish reading this book with their students, they want to get up and Mm -hmm. go try it. And that's exactly what I was hoping for. That's wonderful. And where can people buy Amelia's Loose Part Art? It's available on Amazon right now, and it's um, available on my website as well, which is AngelaOdesanya.com. And if you buy it from my website, it can also be autographed. Oh, isn't that fun? I love it. Well, thanks so much for sharing this book with us today. Congratulations on it. It's a really fun read, and I encourage all the grandparents to run out and get it for their next grandkids sleepover, and they'll have something to do. Thanks again, Angela. Thank you. Robert Tinkler is an Emmy-nominated Canadian artist who has written, produced, and performed across most media forms from TV shows to books and podcasts. He's just released a kids' graphic novel advent calendar called Eight Tiny Reindeer based on his podcast of the same name. Good morning, Robert. Thanks for being on GoToGrandma. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is such a fun book, not just the concept, Eight Tiny Reindeer and, you know, Santa and technology, very current, of course, but I love the style of the Advent calendar. So we're reading one chapter a day. Lots of things to love about this book. What do you think kids will love most about this book? You know, I think the kids will be really drawn to the silly antics of the mischievous reindeer um, Mm -hmm. and all of the, you know, the trouble they get into, but... I think they will emotionally relate to the journey of the two elves who have been saddled with this task of tracking down the missing eight tiny reindeer. And uh, it's sort of a chore for them that they, neither of them really want to do. You know, they, they, they're sort of this odd couple buddy cop duo that, uh, you know, there's a lot of comedy between them, but there's actually a lot of heart and pathos because they have their own individual struggles. Typically, you know, we see Christmas elves as this sort of worker bee, mm-hmm. happy, loyal class of, of you know, people that, that do their jobs and, and that's all they sort of live for. But I really wanted to show them in a different light and to show that they kind of have a different culture themselves and 
are in conflict and feel hurt that they were, you know, let go uh, by Santa right. when he got all of this new technology to start running his operation. And I should remind people, this is a graphic novel, and I think it's sort of geared towards age 7 to 10. Of course, it can go a bit younger and a bit older than that. Um, and the style that it's written, as I said, it's sort of set up to say, let's read one chapter a day starting on December the 1st as an advent calendar goes. So do you think this will encourage kids to keep reading, and why is that important? Well, you know, reading is a is a habit It's a, it, that you have to build. I mean, I have two, twin 12-year-old boys, and getting them to read can be sometimes a challenge. And this is, mm-hmm. I sort of had that in mind when I wrote this book in that, you know, the, the great, the best way to start a habit is to do it every day. And, and an advent calendar, you know, something happens every day. So you're having them read a chapter and the chapters are short and uh, not overwhelming. So it's actually a great way to sort of uh, get that habit started. And reading is reading. I know my I have two daughters and two sons, and my sons were much, much more into graphic novels and comic book style. Um, it's Reading is reading, and I think you're absolutely right. Just encouraging that love of picking up a book and escaping into it is so important. So true. And they, you know, there's a podcast that uh, this is based on. So if you have young readers who, you know, have a little difficulty with words, um, they can listen to the podcast and flip through the pages of the book and look at the beautiful pictures by Dinesh Mahudin and, uh, you know, be taken away that way, too. And so you spoke about the illustrator. He's the, the, the illustrations are fabulous. And this is, of course, a holiday book. What made you want to do a holiday or a Christmas book? Um, well, I one, I'm a huge fan of Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> me too. Christmas, but I actually come from a multi-faith family and, uh, uh, you know, that's part of the story of the elves is that they have a different culture. And so I wanted to, you know, sort of show that, um, you know, Christmas is about giving and, and, and sharing and all those things. And I think when we share our holiday with others, uh, something magical happens. Yeah, and I think Santa kind of transcends a lot of religious sort of, you know, barriers that we all might have to Christmas. Again, you know, Santa is Christmas, and I love the idea that this is sort of an up-to-date sort of story about Santa, because I think we've heard the old one so many times. I have to ask you this question, though. What's the deal with Rudolph? Well, there's a big secret with Rudolph. I don't know if I should give it away. He's like one of the plot twists. But he's actually the one that feels, he's the reindeer that feels the most jilted that Santa has let them go. And he actually goes and works for the technology company, the tech baron, who tries to take over Christmas. So he's working for that guy when we, when we first see him and pick up the story. So, but he does make a big difference in the story and um, Santa and Rudolph make amends and, you know, as families do. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun. He is there. It's, uh, he's got a unique twist. He does. And when you open the book, he's not listed as one of the missing, which is why I asked the question. This is a great book. We can pick up eight tiny reindeer wherever we find fine books. Of course, just in time for the holidays. Thank you so much, Robert Tinkler, for this interview. Thanks so much for your time. Lisa Bednarski is a top realtor in the dynamic Toronto real estate market, working with buyers and sellers at every stage of the process, from buying a first condo to downsizing from the family forever home. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks so much for being back on GoToGrandma. Happy. 
happy to do it. So if a lot of us are downsizing right now, getting smaller homes, moving to retirement homes, maybe going down south. Some of us may have already uncluttered and vacated that house. You're going to give us some great tips today in terms of how to sell a vacant house. Yeah, and there's a lot of situations where it even makes sense to sell the house when vacant. Um, I've been through a number of them this year. Um, you mentioned downsizing, and certainly that is a great time to sell a vacant home because you're already clearing it out anyway. And if you're going to a new place, you might want to start fresh with different furniture and all of those things too. So it's almost best to start with a blank canvas and um, you know only do the move once. A lot of people, if they're moving to a senior's residence, they're not necessarily taking all of their things with them. And it alleviates just another level of stress involved in the move. Um, you move to the place where you're going, and then you sell the house where you were. And, you know, there's also divorcing couples. That can be a really stressful situation. So it, that's another situation where it makes sense to move out. And then, of course, tenanted properties. Tenanted properties don't tend to show as well as uh, a home that is owned and lived in. Um, And so if your tenant has left and the property is vacant, that's a really good time to consider whether or not you want to get a new tenant or sell it while it is vacant when it's most advantageous. And you may have been living in your home for some time. So I've got to think that there's some maybe decor choices that one made 25 years ago or even furniture choices (laughs) that maybe not show off the home to the best advantage. Is that a fact too? Oh my God, that's so true. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have this giant furniture to uh, accommodate their families, but then that also doesn't look so great in photos either. So once the home is empty and vacant, you can bring in painters who can touch it up. You can take the wallpaper off the wall. I'm having that done right now in an upcoming listing where there's some very dated wallpaper. We're going to take that down and paint it, change the light fixture so it looks a little bit more contemporary, and just have the opportunity as well to do a really, really, really deep clean. And the other thing is, is when it's vacant, you get the opportunity to tell a cohesive story in the home. So it's not one roof that was decorated in the 70s and another that was done in the 80s. You can have it all have a cohesive feel, which there are a lot of buyers when they're going through a home, they can imagine what it could be, but the majority can't. So you just give them the opportunity to see it as it could be without having to imagine it. Is there, do you know, a discernible difference in price if you're selling a vacant home versus a nicely furnished home? Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I typically say to people that, um, and our research shows this on our team, that um, staged properties tend to sell for 10 to 15% more. Oh, wow. So my goal is always to, at the very least, cover the commission with the increased price that you get on the sale price. Oh, that makes sense. So if somebody's thinking, well, I'll empty it out, should I go out and rent a bit of furniture, get it staged? It might be worth it. It absolutely would be worth it. And you should talk to a real, whoever is thinking about that should talk to a realtor because a lot of realtors um, have their own staging teams. So that's not, and that's part of the process. And um, part even sometimes of the commission structure, too. So I've had people who have said to me, here are my keys. My stuff is gone. And they've left it up to me to arrange for the painting and changing the carpets and bringing in our staging team to make it sing. 
I imagine another benefit might be for the seller to see really what they can do with the property without having sort of the furniture or the bad carpeting or the purple wall get in their line of sight. They can say, I can come into this home and take a ton of measurements before I move in. I don't have to wait, you know, um, for everyone yeah. to get their stuff out. So it's got to be a benefit on that side as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. And and again, it's very hard to see past a toy room, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, to imagine it as an office, which it could be. So there's, and like you said, you can measure to see if your desk will fit or if the bed will fit. All of those things. It's just a lot easier to sell a vacant home. And as you've just mentioned, to see past the tour room, if the people that have lived there before, or maybe are an older couple, like a lot of, you know, the audience listening and they've gotten rid of a lot of that baby stuff, et cetera, for a new family to move in, they can more easily say, oh, that's where the nursery will go. If there's actually not yeah. existing, you know, home office in that space already. Exactly. Like the, the it's hard to see, a printer which could be a changing table. So what's happening right now, Lisa, in the Toronto real estate market? Any big tips and trends you can share with us in our last couple of minutes here? Yeah, I think that you really want to make sure that you're putting your home in its best light when you are selling it. And if that means selling it vacant, then really consider doing that. Because right now, we're on the cusp of it being a buyer's market, which is something we haven't seen in Toronto in a really long time. So the days of slapping a listing on the MLS (laughs) and having it just sell without having to do the additional work are gone. Maybe not forever, but certainly right now. So you want to make sure if you're selling your home that you are doing everything to make it stand out above the crowd and make it look influence the perception of value so that buyers will go deeper into their wallet. Influence the perception of value. I like that. I like that a lot. So I had, when I first, we talked about this topic, I was thinking it can't be a good thing to sell your home vacant. It's got to be better to sell it furnished. But the more we talk, the more I realize it's sort of a case-by-case basis. You've really got to look at your own space and be objective about it. Yeah. And selling a home vacant doesn't mean selling it without furniture in it, right? right? Like it can mean you move your furniture out of it. So it's vacant to you. But if you're working with a realtor who can stage it, then there's also the opportunity to imagine what it could look like. If it's a very old home and it's most likely going to be completely renovated, I typically advise the seller, we don't need to stage it. Let's just show the bones and show the size and um, whomever buys it is going to make it their own. So once again, speak to the professionals, someone like real estate expert Lisa Bednarski, and of course your website, which I always love, is getwhatyouwant.ca, and we can find Lisa on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks again for this today, Lisa. Thanks, Kathy. I love to talk to you. Danny DeMartin holds over 30 years of banking and financial planning experience and is an expert in cross-border banking. Danny supports financial services employees at RBC as they provide expert advice and service tailored to the Canadian clients that work, play, shop, or stay in the U.S. She is passionate about her role as a future snowbird in Florida with her spouse and three grown children and enjoys shopping in the U.S. both online and in person. Good morning, Danny. Thanks for being part of our Take 5 with RBC series. So, Black Friday and Cyber Monday are almost here. What advice do you have for Canadian shoppers who want to shop the U.S. retailers? Great question, and thanks for having me Mm -hmm. on the broadcast today, Kathy. I would say do your homework first. You know, know what a good price is in U.S. compared to Canadian prices. And know your budget. Stick to it. You know, um, it's easy to go overboard. And I think when we're not factoring foreign exchange rates, it's easy to go overboard. So 
Don't forget to add in some things too, like the cost of gas if you're going to be driving over the border, border toll fees and duty also. I always recommend checking out the CBSA the website before mm-hmm. you travel, and that way you know how much you can bring home without having to pay duty or how much duty are you going to pay if you go over those limits. And I think if you're shopping online, you know, from your couch or even if you're going in person, having a U.S.-based credit card can really help save money and it'll save you on foreign transaction fees. Usually they're about two and a half percent and those are added to most foreign purchases that are bought with a Canadian credit card. So something good to know. And then there's online shoppers advantages too. They can look for sites made for Canadians that want to shop online with U.S. retailers. For example, there's one called myus.com, and it's a subscription service that Canadians can use by providing them with a U.S. address where all their purchases can be sent first before they bundle and ship them to a Canadian address. And this can save them immensely on shipping fees. RBC clients actually get the subscription service free for the first two years, so it's a great RBC cross-border shopping perk. And then I think also lastly, using a U.S.-based debit card can also be a great option. Many Canadian debit cards aren't widely accepted at U.S. retailers. There could be additional fees if it's a foreign card, and the exchange rate may not be as favorable as what people could get online when exchanging currencies themselves. So I think those are my best tips. Yeah, and great tip about, you know, a U.S. credit card to avoid some of those fees. So what do Canadians need to know about qualifying for a U.S. credit card? Great question. Many Canadians think that They wouldn't qualify. They would need credit history, income, or investments in the U.S. in order to qualify for a U.S.-based credit card. But that's not always the case. Some Canadian banks offer these U.S.-based credit cards, and they're based strictly on their Canadian credit history, income, and their assets alone. So they need nothing pre-established in the U.S. To qualify for a U.S. credit card with RBC Bank, one would only need to be an RBC client in Canada and then open our U.S.-based bank account to make monthly credit card payments from. So at RBC Bank, we offer several different platforms for clients to apply for this card and make it really easy for them to choose the channel that works best for them. So if they want to attend an RBC Canadian branch, they can do a virtual meeting with a branch advisor. They can go online to our public site and apply for the card at rbcbank.com. Or they can even go on the phone at 1-800-ROYAL-53 and they can order the card that way. In order to be the primary borrower, I think it's worth noting that the person must be 21 years of age, but they can be a co-borrower on another card with someone who is of age at age 18. What's the benefit of opening a U.S.-based bank account and how can RBC help make cross-border banking easier? I think if you travel regularly to the U.S., and that's whether you're working, going to school, visiting family, shopping, having that U.S.-based bank account will save you time and money. There's no need to go to an ATM or a bank branch for U.S. cash before you leave. And there's no need to worry about the additional fees that are often associated with accessing money through your Canadian account. Our RBC clients actually have access to over 50,000 ATMs in all 50 United States, And they're strategically located exactly where our clients are shopping. They're at Costco, Target, Walgreens, all of those. So our cross-border transfers at RBC are free, and there's no limit to the number of transfers that can be made by our clients as they move money from one country to the other. The account is actually linked to their RBC Canadian account, 
so they can do transfers right in the moment at a store before they make a payment. And this account can be used to set up things like automatic payroll, U.S.-based deposits, and they can even register them to pay U.S. bills, large retail stores like Kohl's and Macy's, things like that. And if clients have a U.S. cell phone plan, they can take advantage of third-party payment apps to send person-to-person payments directly to other U.S. individuals, just like we do with our Interact here in Canada. So overall, RBC really makes cross-border easy to work, play, stay, or shop in the U.S., and we make it simpler, faster, and better. Wow, you sure do. Thank you so much for this information, Danny. And if we want to go online to look up more, we can go to rbcroyalbank.com slash U.S. Banking. Thanks again. Thanks so much for your time, Kathy. I appreciate it. Take care. The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. Dr. Zeus. Ah, Dr. Zeus, some of the best books I have in my grandkid library, and I'm happy to add Angela's and Robert's to my growing list, which maybe I'll keep at my daughter's house as I continue to unclutter and to follow Lisa's advice. Next week on GoToGrandma, we hit the road and the skies and the water as our regular travel contributor, Carolyn Ray of Journeywoman.com, is back to tell us about expedition cruising and the recent 21-day trip she took, plus why it's such a great vacation option for older women traveling solo. We also get the latest trends from the source as Booking.com tells us what they are predicting for 2024. Our Take 5 with RBC interview will once again have financial advice for grandparents. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your go-to grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.